Hello and welcome to the PropTech Hot Seat on iProperty Radio with myself, Carol Tallon, the show where we explore trends and technologies driving innovation across the built environment. This show is brought to you in partnership with PropTech Ireland, the hub for innovators, investors and indeed for industry leaders. In the PropTech Hot Seat today is Aaron Booker, co-founder and CEO of Chainos. Aaron, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the invitation. And tell us a little bit about Chainels for people uh, who might not be familiar. Yeah, so Chainels is a wide label tenant experience platform for multi-tenant assets. So that could be uh, commercial uh, real estate, but also residential real estate. And we are especially also really good in the in the mixed use area because nowadays I think it gets uh, more and more mixed uh, what the destination is of a, of a building. Very good. And a tenant experience is something that... Um, it's a. I don't want to call it um, a relatively new movement in real estate, but the reality is it wasn't high on the list of priorities up until maybe uh, five, six, seven years ago. So as a company established, you know, while while I, I might mistakenly refer to you as a startup, you are, of course, um, a, a scaling company with a decade of experience, which means you were really ahead of the trend, ahead of maybe some of the... ESG regulatory responses we see towards the social side of delivering the built environment. Um, so you were very much ahead of the curve here. What's your own background? Yeah, my, my own background is uh, computer science. So 10, 10, 11 years ago, I started with the project Channels together with my co-founder, Sander. He has a background in real estate and housing, and I have a computer science background. So that was kind of the perfect combination to, to start in uh, PropTech. Um, so that doesn't short the the background. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, coming from a computer science, when your friend approached you about a real estate solution, is that something that you were even primed for uh, while studying computer science? Because they're quite disconnected, and they were very disconnected twelve years ago. They they are they are definitely disconnected. I think we had more the ambition to build a community tool. More, let's say, back in the day, social networks were just launched so that was the big thing uh, where we have now other things so i think we started a bit more from the angle from let's say social media social networks and we realized while talking with uh, the industry that there is a, actually a really big challenge um, to to connect people to buildings um, uh, and to improve uh, their standard of life um, so that that's how it started you know, I, I love that idea emanating from the social networking approach and knowing knowing what the buzz was around that. Um, I think it's really interesting to try connect people with the buildings because that's never something that was done consciously. You know, throughout history, people have sought shelter in buildings, but that's about mm -hmm. it. We didn't have very high expectations from it. Comfort, comfort was probably as much as we looked for. We didn't really expect to get anything else out of the building. So that's a really interesting approach. And to know that you had that foresight more than a decade ago um, is particularly telling. Um, so explain a little. You talked about how Channels is white label. Why is that important? Because obviously we do see white label offerings um, in the industry. But why is it important? Because obviously we've seen brands try to build, maybe not be able to get the, the scalability that they need. Uh, uh, why is white labeling the approach you've taken? Yeah, yeah. We we initially didn't start white la white labeling the product because we thought that we would be, let's say, more in the direction how Facebook and other social networks launched. But 
while talking uh, with communities, with, with, with people living in buildings, you, you realize that it is more about the building, more about the service than the tech provider. So that made us realize that it would be better to, to white label it or in the brand of the building or the service that it needs to provide. And I think we, we white labeled a product in the first place for the World Trade Centers um, a long time ago. And then we realized um, that, that the uptake of the app was in, improved uh, so fast because people recognize themselves in the app. Um, they know why they need to use it. Um, so that was uh, actually the main reason. And I think the other reason uh, is that if you look at real estate, um, the industry, they are in essence, not a tech company. So we see it as a service to, to help them on the technology bit. Um, and we, and it's important that we are not on the front page there because it is their service, um, uh, their clients uh, that are renting. Um, so uh, that was, I think, um, a really important uh, strategy change that we did. And I think you see it uh, uh, across the industry. Uh, more prop tech companies are doing it uh, nowadays. Yeah, and, and it's interesting to hear you position that as the service that you can introduce to real estate when we see that real estate itself has been moving more towards a service model over the past decade as well. Um, and that's something that has probably been um, one of the saviors throughout the time of COVID and and um, even in the uncertainty that we're seeing across commercial real estate at the moment. Um, I'm particularly interested, your team doesn't just deal with residential or commercial, you're, you're across all multi-tenanted buildings. And to me, they seem like entirely different offerings. So let's focus in for a moment on the residential. So, you know, the needs of the residential would be very different to the needs of people who are occupying an office for X number of days a week and X number of hours per day. And then very different to those who are frequent or infrequent visitors of shopping centres. So yeah. tell tell me about the different offerings and and why the distinctions are maybe important. Yeah, I th I think it it it's first of all it 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 happened kind of organically because we were asked to work for a lot of mixed use destinations across Europe, uh, mainly in capitals. So so we of course learned over the years what are the differences. Um, but indeed, I think there are, are massive differences. Um, but um, what we see is that mo the majority of the buildings have also commercial units in the building. So even if you have, a let's say, a residential building, there is maybe a coffee corner, there is a, as a gym, there are maybe some shops in the... Um, so, so the ability to, to, that we are able to adapt to that, that also those tenants will uh, get their account and get the, the offering uh, to access certain uh, services. Um, is uh, extremely important to our clients because otherwise they need to look for uh, two solutions maybe to to solve this um, uh, piece of the puzzle. And I I think that what what we what we try to do is that we stay really focused on the front end to the end user. So we are not an ERP system or a PMS system. We collaborate with the back office systems that are that are in, in the space for decades. Um, and we just make sure there is a is a modern front end that the end user want to use, and that also represents the brand uh, of the building or uh, the real estate company. Um, and of course, we know the differences. So it depends on the uh, the asset class. 
which modules and which services would make sense. But the funny thing is that we see more and more often crossovers between the asset classes. Uh, even uh, even like the the biggest shopping malls in 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 Europe has have way more services for their tenants uh, than than years ago. Um, the other way around, I think the residential buildings become more and more mixed uh, used. Or otherwise, if you zoom out a bit from the building and look a bit more on the uh, the area, uh, the other buildings around it, then quite often you also will see more commercial offerings uh, that need need to be connected to be, uh, let's say, a 360 app for the uh, the people living and working in the building. Yeah, I, and that absolutely makes sense. It's interesting to hear the, the crossover between sectors. Um, but I think actually the, the value case has been quite well established over the last number of years in terms of residential. So whether it's through fault reporting, ease of communication, building sense of community. You know, the, the value case has been quite well established. Um, and in Ireland, we're probably a little slow to the professional rental market. Um, and it's something that actually there was quite a learning curve there. But I think the value is very clear. Um, putting the tenant front and centre in that situation is very clear. I think when we look at retail that's maybe not so clear. So you talk about the offering maybe for retailers within a shopping center sector. And that's interesting because we want to take care of those occupying the retail building, the retail spaces within shopping centers, because we know they're coming under increasing pressure at the moment. But actually, the focus has always been on to serve their customers, not them. So... Mm. Maybe talk to me a little about um, kind of getting specific on what the offering can be for retailers who we know are under pressure right now uh, within shopping centres. Yeah, yeah. I think I think if you look at a, at a shopping centre, then the offering is indeed slightly different. But there are a lot of mandatory workflows that are a lot of work to uh, to manage as a property manager. So first of all, I think many European countries, um, many assets have the turnover rent models, the dynamic rent. So collecting these numbers, we, for example, automate that process and make that super simple. Um, so that is like, let's let's say, one of the specific modules that we only deploy in uh, retail destinations uh, and obviously not in residential. Um, on the other hand, you see also on the, the ESG bit, uh, on the sustainability, we talk a lot about the buildings in general, uh, residential, but also in retail, there are really challenging problems regarding uh you can you can imagine on an, on on a, on, a, on a shopping mall with all the windows all the the the, gar the garbage collection uh the waste management all these type of things there is an, another type of let's say more professional community to align these things where security for example is also a hot topic um in in these places especially if you talk about uh, big cities uh where these uh, shopping centers are um, so, so it is a slightly different uh, way of configuring the platform. And you should also keep in mind that the frequency and the volume maybe of content is also slightly different because people are not just uh, sending direct messages all the time because they're just working. But, uh, but you see that there, you can also talk about something what we call a community because also during lunch, you maybe want to spend uh, your money local. Uh, you want to know what's going on. Uh, you want to be also a community for the visitor of the mall. So it is everything what you need to arrange in the background to, to, uh, to, have, uh, to optimize your shopping center. 
Um, channels, uh, not just operating across multiple sectors, but also operating across multiple countries. You have a European wide focus and I know you're not on the ground yet in Ireland, but that that uh, there are certainly hopes to enter the Irish market in 2024. Uh, that gives you a really interesting uh, and almost non-biased perspective on maybe some trends. So you might just talk to us first about retail trends. So your customers, what are they experiencing across different countries? Because we hear a lot about um, some of the challenges facing retail, whether that's um, through um, economic and cost of living. Also, we've had uh, critical shortages uh, because of global logistics uh, issues. Um, but then you also have uh, online shopping which has has been an issue for more than a decade but it's changing you know it's it's changing and requiring a more exper uh, experiential approach by retailers so across the different countries are there different regional or maybe country uh, specific trends that you're picking up on yeah definitely definitely uh, so so i think if you if you look at if you look at europe um we 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 see first of all i think the the adoption the uptake of technology in uh, central east europe is really good um so what i mean is when we launch uh, our app um in, in in these countries uh, the uptake is in the first weeks way higher uh, compared to west europe uh, although we have a lot of clients in west europe so we also see if we look at the trends that is i think um extremely important for us is to learn why why certain things work in um, specific asset classes and specific cultures and countries. And um, and I think if you look at trends, then then obviously um, in, in some countries, let's say security is a bigger topic than in other countries. Um, so then we also focus on these things. But I think a common trend is that um, real uh, landlords want to give more data back also to their brands, to their tenants. So uh, a solution like ours also provides insights on on the performance of the building uh, for the tenants to to align their strategy um, instead of just uh, being a tenant. Uh, so they also understand how the how the building is performing. And obviously, we we have a lot of brands in our uh, what we call communities that are also uh, um, uh, European focused. So for them, it is also super interesting to have sort of a standard way of working to see the differences and to maybe benchmark also how uh, the shops, but also the shopping centers um, are approaching uh, um, these, these challenges. Um, I, I absolutely agree. And, and it's something that we've discussed quite um, a number of times in this show before that uh, one commonality, irrespective of where the innovator that we're speaking to is joining us from, whether it's uh, within Europe or outside, one of the common things is always around the growing appreciation of data and um, a willingness to provide that. But are there any regional differences in terms of the data that's required? Because at the moment, you know, it really, I, I think that we are still in a phase of appreciating data understanding it, maybe not quite knowing how to manage it, but not being very skilled at extracting the insights because I'm not sure we know what insights can be extracted all the time. So are there different, are there regional differences here? Are there some factors maybe that are more important in, in different locations? 
Um, yeah, de definitely. I, I think on the, obviously, if you look at Europe, you have the GDPR and you have some, some things that are in common, but, but still, I think on a, let's say on a localization perspective, we have quite some, always quite some challenges because even like, well, let's say onboarding new users to a platform, you have, um, different um uh, laws so for example if 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 tenants on, uh, are onboarded in turkey they have to sim simply already tick three to four boxes before they are in the system compared to the netherlands where we only have to tick one box that we agree with the things um so you see already that there are, are there are differences and that may also imply that in the implementation strategy with the real estate company we really need to think through how you communicate a service like this because I think there is always, um, um, I think from a real estate perspective, there's, it feels like a risk to that maybe some data uh, is so available to, to the end user. And I think in, in terms of trends, um, I, I do think, of course, if you look at West Europe, then, then you see that in the, the number of data dashboards, smart building technology, um, that that is a bit higher uh, than than in some other countries. So then you see that that it becomes a bit more towards smart building uh, technology, uh, tapping into access control providers, uh, smart censoring, and these type of things. Where it's um, um, let's say in Central Europe, uh, sometimes a little bit more on the on the communication, uh, the communication bit and the mandatory workflows. Um, and I think the, the huge difference is that if you look at the, the tech space and all the software around, um, then it's also interesting that in some countries there are um, the real estate companies have less tech in their organization. So then you can have also a clean start where sometimes when you, for example, if, if I take a few projects in London, then there are so many providers already in place that it is uh, uh, a mega puzzle to 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 connect everything where we start in in some assets uh, nowadays just from scratch where you can do uh, everything in a way uh, um, that they uh, have strategized or in is in their vision um so so there there, there are huge differences but it, it depends on asset class indeed and and and, and location yeah I, I think you touched on something there that's maybe worth emphasizing that um I would imagine, a decade ago, you might have seen more companies or, or um, portfolio owners where there wasn't a lot of tech in place. So maybe you got to start from scratch. I would imagine that isn't the situation as much anymore, that integration is really key now and technology providers need to, to play well with, uh, you know, whether it's through uh, APIs or, or, or uh, various methods, they need to be able to integrate and play well together because that's the only way that we can help portfolio owners really build um, a sustainable and scalable tech stack um, that we need them to do. But it's interesting to hear you talk and kind of break it down in terms of, uh, you know, you've touched on GDPR and indeed ESG. And, and it raises the question for me, because you have that lovely perspective of um, understanding the key drivers in different European countries. You know, what are you seeing as the key drivers? Is it more the regulatory side? So is it complying with regulation? Is it an attempt to put the tenant in the heart of the transaction uh, to establish best practice? Like what, what are the real drivers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I think from from our perspective, perspective, or what our vision is on this, is that we that you should be really tenant centric as a as a real estate company. So you should really care and think about your customer, your end user, 
um, where obviously on, on, on one end, it was always about the buildings. Of course, we are enabling the buildings with technology. Um, but but because also if you look at the new generation, it's way more about services. So there is also a huge opportunity if you step into this, that you can um, increase your revenues simply because new models are all over the place. I think even if you compare PropTech to FinTech, for example, um, you see a lot of people say, of course, that PropTech is a little bit behind compared to FinTech. That, that makes sense. I mean, FinTech is ma mainly virtual. I mean, we have to deal here with buildings. Um, but but there is um, you see that a lot of landlords nowadays are um, uh, transitioning into into that more tenant centric approach uh, simply to to um, to keep the tenants uh, keep the tenants and provide better service that is now expected uh, especially I think in uh, in Europe. Um, I think in terms of regulatory drivers, they're very well established, and even actually this quest towards um, best practice. Again, you know, that's that's becoming uh, part of the it's becoming part of the modus operandi of real estate. Um, it's interesting to hear you position this as potential new revenue models for portfolio owners, because that's not something that we've really seen developed. It's maybe it has been the promise of PropTech. I'm not sure if that promise has been delivered on. So can you maybe get a little bit specific about um, I, I mean, like, for example, we're positioning this really as social value. So how can social value create new revenue models for portfolio owners across any of those asset classes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a simple example, I think in a lot of buildings, there is at least, a, let's say, a yearly event to maybe celebrate a new year or whatever with, with your neighbours. Um, and I think by introducing a solution like this, you can, for example, increase the number of events, but also make them uh make people for example pay for the events and and step up your game there because quite often if you look at the operational expense expenses there there is quite uh, quite a lot going on on let's say on the hospitality bits in in buildings but quite often uh they don't yeah they hope that that it that it improves the quality of life and so on but i think by introducing solutions like this um you can really measure uh the impact and I think you can can immediately see, in, especially if we talk about common spaces, for example, that can't be monetized uh, in the best way. You can also see like wh which services are really used at the end of the line. Um, so we recommend quite often to to at least monetize a lot of services, just also to validate um, uh, if it's working, it's worth to to have them in the building. Because, for example, if I look look um, at here in the Netherlands, then a lot of buildings have. Let's say a gym. Uh, they have a, maybe a cinema. They have uh, they have a, a living room and so on. But it's really interesting to know at the end of the year if it was really used. I mean, I see so many buildings where I enter the building at ten o'clock or nine o'clock, uh, and I don't see anyone in the gym simply because across the street there is a bigger gym. So why would you spend that spa space for a gym? And then it's like, yeah, but it's every building has a gym. Yeah, but that maybe doesn't make sense. Um, so, so that is, I think, where you can also optimize your uh, your building um, and 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 uh, trial and error on which services make sense for your um, audience. Um, I'm really glad that you focused and you touched on impact there because an awful lot of the conversation around tenant engagement, whether it's commercial or or for um, uh, residential has been a little bit like glorified party planning, you know, barbecues on the roof, yoga mm -hmm. at lunchtime. And actually, we're seeing that 
sounds nice. That's not what people want. That doesn't move the needle. That is not creating impact. So, and this is quite a big question I appreciate, but based on the knowledge and the trends that you have, what do tenants actually want in 2024? What do they care about? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I th- we we did a research on that because obviously obviously we 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 think that we we know a bit what what tenants want. But what we did is we did a research across three countries: uh, the UK, France, and the Netherlands. So we did an independent survey, um, not even with our users, but in general tenants on the residential bit. Um, and and what we see is that um, that besides just the basic communications, what gives also uh, a feeling of uh, being part of the building, feeling safe. Uh, we see that I think with, for example, recently uh, the increasing energy prices, that it is really interesting to see uh, what's going on on the energy consumption. Uh, there are the younger generation cares more about, let's say, the environmental impact. So also want to know these things. But on the other hand, they also want to just not waste their time on arranging, uh, let's say, the boring, obvious things. And that is, I think, also a huge thing. I mean, uh, sending emails or making five phone calls to arrange something, what should be in the basics already covered. Um, I think with many things that you have in your private life, you you expect an app, you expect just a few clicks away to do it any time of the day, not just on Monday to Friday. And, and that is, I think, where we also focus really on the, let's say, the, the, the fundamental, uh, fundamental, uh, solutions that you need to provide. So just the maintenance ticketing, just the basic communications, just these things need to be covered and then you can start building something cool on top of it with what we can maybe call community or uh, a service model uh, and so on. Yeah, I think it's interesting to see you put kind of people's feelings of um, belonging and feeling safe while doing good, um, whether it's ecologically or socially, I, I think that's a really good place to position that front and center. Um, Aaron, you provided loads of value for uh, our portfolio owners, for real estate owners, for facilities and properties managers listening in today. And I'm conscious of time. We need to wrap up shortly, but uh, I can't let you go without giving a little something to uh, the startups who are listening in today because the reality is you're past that phase but I'm sure you remember what it's like to to be in the trenches so you know again uh, Channels is very much in its uh, it's very much well into its uh, scaling phase having having um, successfully gone through a series A funding rounds last year um, you touched on something there and I think there might be a lesson that could be helpful for startups who are maybe a decade or so behind you. And that is, you talked about the uptake of tech in Central uh, East Europe, maybe compared to West Europe as being faster and slow adoption, that slow uh, um, uptake is something that we discuss all the time in the context of startups. So can you tell me, first of all, do you think that this is reflective of uh, Central East Europe? Was it coming off uh, lower? or slower base and is that why it's faster to adopt or is there a mentality difference there that we can learn from i think it's it is a mentality difference um um and it has to do of course maybe also with the history that there are maybe um they skipped a, sometimes a step with some smart building tech that was maybe already there for years in in let's say for example uh, the uk um so so there are multiple differences um but but i think 
at the end of the line, I think if you also look at, let's say, uh, the Netherlands, we have quite often also the attitude that, that things are good as they are now and an app is extra. So I think it is really a mentality thing to make that shift because it is not, in the first place, not really about the technology, but it's changing behavior, creating a strategy and a vision what you want to achieve. And that is, I think, where I think all these startups that are in the, let's say, same space are struggling is that how to define the impact and how to guide the real estate companies through this process. And, and you need, uh, that's also the reason why we are there for a decade, but you need a little bit of time to, to gain that trust, to show results, because you sometimes can't measure the results in a month, but you need sometimes years to, to measure uh, the impact. Um, yeah, and I think that that's ex extremely important for the prop tech industry to, to stay to, to stay there, make make impact reviews and, and show good results. Because I think um, maybe in the last decade, there were maybe too many solutions as well that could not, were more in hype than, uh, than were really making impact. Yeah, look, it, it, hype versus impact, novelty versus what people are willing to pay for. You know, we say it all the time here that you may rightly have identified a problem, but we know now that not all problems are worthy of being solved. And that's, that's a real eye opener. Um, look, Final question, just because you've been so generous, not just with your time, but actually so open and sharing your story. I think it's really interesting when you talked about being influenced by the rise of social networks, you know, maybe uh, 12, 13 years ago. And so therefore you thought your brand would sit front and centre and all startups need to have quite an, I, I don't want to say egocentric way, but actually you have to have a little bit of that to to believe that you can make an impact, that you can introduce something new to the world and make an impact. However, as most startups realize, and as you did yourself, actually, you know, it can be quite a humbling effect then when we realize the market wants something different. And actually, the white labeling suddenly isn't about you and what you can do. It's how it's received and how you can make your customers look good to their customers. So with that, and I genuinely appreciate you being so open with that because that's the kind of thing that we only know looking back. We only know in retrospect. And actually, it, it almost takes a decade to be able to reflect back and understand and see how that served you, but also how the willingness to change and adapt served you. So I suppose the final question for today and the hope that it will help somebody maybe who needs to hear it, who's in that startup phase and struggling to get to scaling phase. What is, as a founder, what's the thing that would have been most helpful for you to know a decade ago? I, I think it would have been really helpful to shadow a property manager and an asset manager a few days and not uh, read about it, but just see actually what they are doing on a, on a daily basis. And we start doing that a few years ago. And so we understand a little bit what's going on. But I would recommend to do that uh, faster. And I think there are a lot of real estate companies open to share that knowledge. Yeah, that, that's a fantastic piece of advice because, look, the, the, sometimes I find sometimes the, the prop tech innovators can be a little bit arrogant in dismissing and, and feeling that it's unimportant how business is done in real estate. And actually, we know the successful deployments of technology are when the portfolio owner who has this years and decades of experience and understands the marketplace and understands the day-to-day -day comes together with the prop tech provider. And you need both. You need the fresh thinking, the fresh approach to challenge 
a lot of what's done in the day to day. But actually, I, I don't believe that either side can do it alone. So um, that's that's a really powerful point. Thank you so much for joining us today and being so open um, about the PropTech journey, because there's a lot that can be learned. Uh, one of the mantras we have inside PropTech Ireland is that you don't need to make all the mistakes yourself. While it's it's good and it's fine to make mistakes, you know, in the spirit of leverage, try to learn from the mistakes of those who have gone before you. Um, it just speeds up the iteration process. Um, so thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That was Aaron Buck, co-founder and CEO of Channels. Um, my thanks to producer Katie Tallon and the audio team at Hear Me Roar Media. Before we go, just a special word of thanks to our sponsor, PropTech Ireland, for supporting the podcast and for making these conversations possible. And finally, thank you indeed for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode of the PropTech Hot Seat. In the meantime, please be sure to check out all of the other Irish and international real estate and construction shows here on iProperty Radio. 